Thanks for joining us for the special Mid-East Prophecy Edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. shares the Mideast Prophecy Update from an Arab perspective as he connects the dots of current events geopolitically with last day's prophecies biblically. It is our belief that the next event on God's prophetic clock is the rapture of the Church of Jesus Christ. It is our hope that these Bible prophecy updates will not only ready you and steady you for His return, but that they will also encourage you to share the gospel with others in order that their rapture will not be as a thief in the night. Have you noticed how everything seems a little strange these days? In today's message, Pastor J.D. discovers the answer to that very question. The world is abuzz with anticipation because something extraordinary is about to happen. The imminent return of Jesus Christ is drawing near. He will take his people to heaven. Now, don't forget to stay with us after today's Prophecy Update to learn how you can become a Facebook friend or watch the weekly Prophecy Update at jdfarag.org. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with today's Prophecy Update as shared on July 30th. 2023. What I want to do today is answer the question of why it is that everything in the world today seems to be so strange now. I'll start by giving you the short answer to the question, then I'd like to take the time in our time together today to expound on the answer specific to Bible prophecy. The short answer as to why everything happening in our lives and in the world today is so strange now is because everything is about to change now. That's the short answer. (laughs) Well, I realize saying this in this way may come off as clever, cute, or even cliche, but the truth of the matter is one can't help but notice just how very strange everything seems to be getting, and it seems to be getting stranger with each passing day. And not only does it seem like everything is getting strange globally, It's getting stranger in every arena of our lives personally. Let me explain that. The world around us is getting strange, which in turn has this effect of explaining why everything in our world is getting strange, by extension, almost by default, if you prefer. By way of a common illustration, I want to try to, at the risk of an oversimplification, to put it into perspective, compare it to what I suppose you could see it as or say it as, the strange calm and change in the weather before the storm. We say it as the calm before the storm. In other words, things kind of get this, like this eerie, strange calm before it hits. 
In other words, things getting strange become a sign that things are about to change, which is applicable in terms of Bible prophecy. And one need look no further than to Jesus rebuking the multitudes, which is not very often that such firm and even harsh rebukes come from the mouth of the Savior, but this is one of those occasions. He rebukes the multitudes who saw the coming changes in the weather, but were not discerning the signs of the times. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, I'll begin reading in verse 54. Then he, speaking of Jesus, also said to the multitudes, Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather, and there is. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? Translated, you see the changes. Here's this strange change, eerie calm, again, if you prefer. And you say, hey, something's coming. Change be a coming. There's a change in the weather. Well, how is it that you cannot discern that there's a change coming when you see the strange and the change. During my recent time off, I, I had extended time to be with the Lord and, and in His Word, and oh my goodness, I just... And during that time, I was reminded of one of the most fascinating accounts in all of Scripture. I know I say that about all the accounts in all of Scripture, but this one in particular, it's back in the book of Genesis. And it has to do with Jacob. And it's during the seven-year famine when he sends his sons to Egypt to buy grain. And unbeknownst to Jacob's sons, they're about to encounter their younger brother Joseph, who they sold into slavery many years prior and have basically left for debt. If this were bad enough, they lied to their father Jacob, telling him that Joseph, who Jacob loved and favored, had been killed by a wild animal. In fact, they had staged the whole event, taking his cloak, his, as it's referred to, coat of many colors, and they dipped it in the blood of an animal, took it back to their father, and lied to him, said, Joseph is dead. So all these years, Jacob has been mourning the death of his beloved son, Joseph. <laughs> his, this is what I love about God, right? It, I know I say it as God has a sense of humor, and he does. And all you have to do is look in the mirror. 
and you'll realize that God has a sense of humor. Look at your pastor. That alone should tell you God has a sense of humor. So isn't this interesting? Uh, what, what a strange turn of events. The famine has reached Canaan, the land of Canaan, throughout the land, the severity of the famine. And here's Jacob now saying to his sons, hey, you better go to Egypt. I hear they have grain there. And unbeknownst to them, they're about to go, and they don't recognize him. That's God. But Joseph recognizes them. That's God. So they're going to go to this master in, in Egypt, the most powerful man in the known world, save Pharaoh. And it's their brother. I love it when God does stuff like that. So they're set to get grain. Now here's the famine. They go to Egypt, they come back, except they don't have Simeon with them. Why is Simeon not with them? Because he's being held by Joseph, who they don't recognize as a security deposit, for lack of a better way of saying it, so that they go back and prove to Joseph, who they don't recognize, this Egyptian master, that they're not spies. So you guys go back, you leave Simeon here, and I want you to come back, because I think you're spies, you lies, you're full of lies, you spies. Okay, that's enough of that. But here's where it gets really strange, and it's even going to get stranger, because somehow this master in Egypt is querying them and asking them very specific questions, very strange, about his family, about their father, about other brothers, specifically one Benjamin. That's strange. How, how would they, how would this guy know that and even ask about that? So not only is he asking about that, he's demanding that he hold Simeon until they come back with Benjamin to prove that they're not spies. That was a very long camel ride back from Egypt to Canaan. And even in the narrative, we're provided with some very interesting details about the back and forth between the brothers who knew that they were getting the judgment from God's hand because of what they did to Joseph, not even realizing it was Joseph. Why is this happening to us? This is very strange. Oh, it must be that 
because of what we did to Joseph. So now they got to go back and tell Jacob, their father, um, okay, we got the grain and wait a minute, what's this money doing here? I thought you paid for it. Here's the money. Well, it's, you know, the account, it is, again, so fascinating. Um, so they come back to their father, Jacob, and now they have to, first of all, explain what happened, that Simeon's being held, that they're being accused of being spies, and the only way to prove their innocence is if they bring Benjamin back to Egypt to this master. Could you imagine that conversation? Jacob's like, how did he know about Benjamin? Well, he asked. Well, that's strange. How did he know to ask about Benjamin? I don't know. We're as baffled as you are, Dad. Um, Why did you tell him about Benjamin? Because he asked specifically if I, we had a younger brother. Well, why did you tell him about Benjamin? Because Benjamin is Joseph's only biological brother from Rachel, whom Jacob loved. <laughs> the other sons came from Leah. You remember that one, right? That one is, never mind, I just don't, don't go there because that's too much. So all the other sons of Jacob came from either Leah or the handmaidens. There were only two sons that came, biological brothers from Rachel, and those sons were Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph is wanting to see his younger brother. And in this this interrogation, if you want to call it that, back in Egypt, he also wanted to know about his dad. Is your father still alive? There's a couple of times where Joseph loses it. And he doesn't want to see the servants. You got to understand, he's the most powerful man in the known world, save Pharaoh. He doesn't want his servants who are there at the snap of his finger, not even the snap of a finger. All he'd have to do is raise an eyebrow and they move. That's how powerful he is. And when they tell him that his father is still alive, he he loses it and he goes into a room and he just starts wailing. but he wants to see his younger brother too, Benjamin. So here's Jacob like, you got to be kidding me. This can't be happening. We pick it up in Genesis 42 verse 36. And I want you to notice as I read this verse, the raw, intense emotion on Jacob's part about specifically how strange this all is and 
how strange everything is that's coming against him. We're told, verse 36, Genesis 42, And Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. And there's, a, there's quite a bit of arguing back and forth, because at first Jacob is absolutely refusing to let Benjamin go back with them. But the problem is he loves Simeon too, and Simeon is being held there until he does. And there's another problem, very strange problem, because somehow the money they used to pay for the grain made it back in their saddles on their camels. We got to make that right. So basically, we have no choice. Now, why do I refer to this account? Because things got very strange for Jacob right before the good news of a very big change to Jacob. He has no idea. Yeah, this is strange. That's what I was saying. This is really strange. This is quite a perplexing predicament I find myself in here. Everything is against me. Oh, Jacob, if you only knew what's around the corner. Joseph, he's alive. And when this is all said and done, you're going to be relocated. You want to talk about change. You know, we, we're change adverse, right? You know who you are. I won't look at you. That's fine. You know who you are. You don't like change. That's why you like to park in the same spot every week and sit in the same seat every week. Again, I won't look at you. <laughs> we're adverse to change. But could it be that that's why God has to make things very strange, because He knows otherwise we would not be interested in said change? I'm not going to entertain point B if I'm too comfortable in point A. I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not interested in relocating to point B. I know. That's why I'm going to make things very strange for you. And I'm going to relocate you and the strange is going to be the catalyst for the change. And unbeknownst to Jacob at this juncture is that not only is Joseph alive, he is going to be relocated to Egypt where he will rejoice all the days of his life, reunited with his son who, if you will, has been, in effect, resurrected from the dead. More on that in a moment. So too is this true for us. Everything coming against us is getting very strange. However, it's a sign of what's being prophetically prepared for us as a very big change. We're going to be relocating soon. And it ain't going to be Egypt. It is of paramount importance to note that Joseph is a type of Christ. Uh, we've talked about this in prior updates and teachings. In fact, I have, uh, they should still be available online, PDF files. 
because I love charts, right? I think I'm convinced that I'm going to be, for all eternity, God's going to just let me make charts. (laughs) So I have a chart, and there's over 120, I think, parallels and types of how Joseph is a type of Jesus. More so than anyone else in Scripture. By the way, Isaac is a type of Christ. Moses is a type of Christ. Throughout Scripture you have typology, but none match the type of Christ that Joseph is. Stay with me. This seven-year famine, it's a type of the unspeakable change coming in the seven-year tribulation. Oh, and it gets better. This is what I love about Bible typology, Bible prophecy and Bible typology. It's that Joseph taking a Gentile bride prior to the seven-year famine as a type of the bride of Christ being taken in the rapture prior to the seven-year tribulation. Oh, it gets better. Does that sound like an infomercial? I'm sorry if it does. That's not all. (laughs) Jacob. You know, Jacob is also called Israel. Remember when Jacob wrestled with the Lord? That was a Christophany. That was Jesus himself, a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus the Christ, wrestling with (laughs) Jacob all night long. You want to talk about strong will. Wrestling, for those of you that are wrestlers, that's why it's so important in Ephesians 6 to note that that's the word used when the Apostle Paul is talking about the spiritual armor. He doesn't say, we, we battle against, that's too generic, that's too ambiguous. No, he says, we wrestle against, not flesh and blood. Wrestling takes everything from you. I think I tried wrestling in, in high school. I lasted a minute and 30 seconds, I think, and then I was pinned. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm not really feeling that this is an area of interest for me. It was brutal. I think it took me weeks to recover from that experience. I'm still traumatized. Obviously, I'm still talking about it. So he's wrestling with the Lord, demanding that the Lord bless him. And the Lord's like, I'll bless you, but I have to break you first. So he breaks him, touches his hip socket, which from what I understand is like one of the most painful parts of the human anatomy, forever changing his walk, literally and metaphorically, for the rest of his life. I have to break you. The breaking always, always, always precedes the blessing. Gideon's victory The blessing came, the victory came, subsequent to the breaking of the vessels. Jesus in the feeding miraculously of the multitudes on more than one occasion. And by the way, the record that we have in Scripture of 4,000, that's just the men. That doesn't count the women and children. 20,000 people. The blessing of and the miracle in the feeding of the multitudes came subsequent to the breaking of the bread. Brokenness always precedes the blessing. You've been listening to a Prophecy Update with Pastor J.D. Farag on In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for tuning in to study the Word of God. As you continue to learn about the things that are happening all around us and how that relates to the Bible, take some time to pray for this nation and for the world as a whole. 
How all the details will play out is still unknown, but God treasures the prayers that are offered on behalf of his people and the world around them. Continue to delve deep into God's word on your own and gain some useful insight about these things in addition to what you hear from Pastor J.D. Are there some things that you heard today that really touched home in your heart that you'd appreciate some prayer over? We'd be honored to pray for you. Let us know what those requests are by going to jdfarag.org and then fill out the form under contact. Once again, that website is jdfarag.org. You can also find us on social media. You'll find links to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube on our website. And we encourage you to follow them so you can stay up to date with all that's happening at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe and in spirit and truth. If you're wanting to access these things on the go, we have a mobile app that's available for iPhone and Android users. Just look under the resources tab. That's all we have time for today, but thanks for joining us. We look forward to our next edition where you'll get the opportunity to hear more insightful things about the days that we're living in and how that intersects with what's been predicted in the Bible. Join us again here on In Spirit and Truth.